Joined as always by my co-host, his name is David Nash. David, the Suns finally got a win. It was a blowout win. How you feeling? We won another game, Max, so I'm feeling pretty good. We are so far we, we seem to be averaging one win per episode at the moment, which isn't great, but at least gives us some positivity to talk about each episode. Yeah, you'd like to crank that up a little bit. Maybe we can get like two per episode going forward. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. So anyway, we're not gonna talk about that game. Because we're going to do a mailbag episode, David. This is going to be fun. I like these because our listeners do all our work for us. They do, and they've come with some pretty good questions, which I think cover you know pretty much all the important topics from the Sun. So, yeah, we enjoyed the last time we did a mailbag, which was much uh, more in our infancy as a pod. So, uh, yeah, lots of questions to answer, and I'm, I'm pretty hopeful we're going to get to all of them in the episode, which is good. Uh, we're also going to do seven seconds or less. We're going to do Did You Know?, uh, also, David, I put out a challenge last week for reviews. You did. And uh, they answered. The listeners answered. We got five new reviews, which is awesome. Uh, we're going to read out the one up top. That was uh, the one that won the 39th review, the one that was first. And then we're going to read the rest of them at the end of the episode. So I'm excited about that. That's true. And, and I'll put a challenge out there. We're still waiting for our first or, or second Aussie review, actually, on the Aussie version of iTunes. So I'll happily read the next one that we get there out in uh, in an upcoming episode, Max. Yeah, you got to tell your Aussie brothers to stop slacking, man. <laughs> All right, so before we do that, uh, do you want to go a little bit into what's happened recently? We mentioned the win, but there's been other stuff too. Yeah, I'll just quickly go over the week that was, Max. So we lost at New Orleans 99-119, to of course, uh, followed by another loss to OKC 101 to 118 and then our win over the Spurs as you mentioned which was a 20 point blowout 116 to 96 unfortunately max our 3 and 11 record as of recording this podcast is still last in our division a whopping 5 games behind Sacramento uh, we're last in the conference, two and a half games behind Minnesota of all teams, uh, but just 28th in the league uh, with a 1.5 game buffer over Cleveland. But we normally cover other news in this little segment here, Max, of which there hasn't really been anything other than what's going on in the game. So I believe this is the time you'll read out our 39th review. Yeah, let's do it. So this comes from Daniel at D D U A R T E. It's probably his last name. Eighty nine on Twitter. Met Daniel in Vegas uh, for summer league. Awesome guy. Awesome. Love talking to him. Uh, he says these guys are awesome. They both have great insight on the team, and they are not afraid to criticize, which always makes for better conversation. They also are both great follows on Twitter and really interact back and forth. 
David being from Australia, you would think logistically it would be a problem, but Pod is always uploaded every week. Great stuff. David, it is kind of tough sometimes, but we make it work. We do, and that pretty much sums up exactly what we try and do every week and, and what we're trying to do overall on the pod. So thanks very much to Daniel for that review. I think he's summed it up pretty beautifully there. Yeah, appreciate it, Daniel. And the rest of you guys reviewed, we're going to read you at the end of the episode, so don't fret. All right, David, you ready to start us off? I am. So our first question here comes from uh, Pocket Litter, who uh, put it on my feed when I retweeted the mailbag for this episode, Max. He is at Fortimososi. Uh, I've absolutely butchered that, but we'll go with it anyway. I think it's Fortissimosity. There you go. There you go. So his question uh, is a good one and one that seems to be a, a recurring theme on Sun's Twitter at the moment, and it is, what should the starting lineup be for next game, Max? Yeah, this is a timely question because there was a conversation, I think, started by Brendan Clean's article today. Uh, about, you know, Mikel versus Ariza, yep. who should be in the lineup. Uh, I think you and I both agree that's that's really not the decision we're trying to make. Uh, we should be putting both of them in the starting lineup. The starting lineup should be Booker, Mikel, Ariza, TJ, and Aiton. I have no need for a pointless guard in the starting lineup. Yeah, we love that nickname for Kanan. Hopefully, he <laughs> so doesn't good. listen to the epi- doesn't listen to the podcast, Max. But uh, I agree with you. Uh, that's what it should be. I think you and I agree on many of the points as to why. Uh, but I'll go in the other direction and just say what will it be? And it it will most likely, from everything that we've seen to date, Max be Kanan, Booker, Ariza, TJ, Aiton, which uh, is a little disappointing. I will note, though, that uh, I think next game, Ariza's already been ruled out, so uh, we'll probably see Mikhail in the starting lineup at least one more time. But, you know, going forward, which I think this question was more about, uh, yeah, I think it's very much a, a question of Mikhail or Kanan in the starting lineup for us, Max. I just don't understand how you can take, who I think is pretty clearly your best two-way player in Mikhail Bridges right now, and probably your third best player overall, maybe fourth, and just not play him. Yep. It's, I just don't get it. He needs to play a lot. Uh, I, I kind of criticized Igor for keeping Josh in the game at Mikhail's expense uh, last game. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, they won the game. It all worked out. I just It's not so much against you know Josh playing a lot. I just Mikhail Bridges needs to be playing a lot on this team. He just needs to be. And we have questions about that later, so I won't spoil what we're going to say. Actually, that's our next question, right? Should you go ahead and get into it? Yeah, I'll just quickly say that I think you know by starting Booker, you're not giving too much of an overload on him if you do it properly, Max. So, you know, I'm really only talking kind of 15 minutes a night, you know, seven or eight to start the game and, and seven or eight to, to finish the game. And we've already been seeing it a little bit more finishing the game, which I think is our best lineup. So, and then you can kind of stagger Booker and TJ from there who are our you know pretty clear point scorers on this team and, and maybe the only two guys on the team that can kind of go and get you a bucket when you need one so you know that's kind of our rationale I think Max and uh, you know hopefully we'll see a, a more steady uh, lineup going forward because the Suns have started nine guys so far and, and there's 13 guys on the roster averaging over 10 minutes per game so yeah we haven't really seen a settled rotation just yet Max. It's tough when everyone sucks and everyone's hurt all the time. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, I think, so I like your point on staggering Booker and TJ. I think the way I would do it is start the lineup we mentioned, and then I'd probably bring Jackson in for TJ, like, you know, five minutes in, something like that. Yep. And then to start the second quarter with TJ kind of being the, the alpha out there in the bench unit. That's, that's kind of the way I, I think I'd handle it. Yeah, and just tighten things up. Get to, like, a nine-man rotation where we can, you know, play around with the lineups a little bit more, and we're not just talking a, a pure first unit and pure second unit. We've seen that a lot from Igor. I'm a little critical of that, too, even though, you know, injuries and things 
things haven't helped him. But, you know, I think uh, starting with a lineup and then really kind of having two or three starters on the floor all the time is, is what Igor should be pushing towards, Max. All right, let's move on. These are two questions that are related, so I'll, uh, I'll answer them together here. Yep. So we got the first one's from at Nick Pitak. He asks, why does Igor not send Ryan Anderson to Pluto, Trevor Ariza to Mars, and give Bridges <laughs> Melton 30 minutes a game? Uh, I mean, Igor probably doesn't have a spaceship, but anyway, we'll move on. Uh, at Fat Hunt, he asks, should the Suns play Bridges 47 or 48 minutes a game heading forward? <laughs> Couple of humorous questions there, but I think there is a serious slant to them, and as we said, it is a kind of common theme amongst Sunt's Twitter at the moment. I will say Fat Hunty is Hunter Smith on Twitter, I believe, if you want to track him down, listeners. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, You're probably a little bit more critical of Igor than I am, particularly towards Melton not playing. Maybe just a little bit. (laughs) Maybe just a little bit. But, yeah, I think we both agree that Bridges should be playing 30 minutes a game every night, whether he's starting or not, necessarily. Uh, Melton's an interesting one, Max. I think it ties in with what we're saying about changing the starters around. I think if Kanan actually moved to being the you know, pseudo backup point guard on this team as someone Igor can trust that knows the sets and things. I think we've touched on in the past that maybe Melton isn't playing as much because he, you know, came in late and and doesn't know the sets as well as Igor would like. But, you know, playing him with someone like Kanan or Crawford, as Mm -hmm. we saw when he played last game, is probably an option to actually get Melton more minutes. What do you think? I totally agree. Melton is shooting guard size. He can guard, you know, kind of any opposing guard you have. And he also, it looks to me like he improved his shot. So I think he can play off ball. I think it makes a lot of sense to play him off ball with somebody like Cannon or uh, Crawford, as you mentioned. That, that'd be great. Um, just getting a little bit to the other parts of Nick's question. Uh, Ryan Anderson, I don't think should play at all. So I agree he should go to Pluto. Yep. Uh, Trevor Ariza, I don't agree he should go to Mars. I think Trevor Ariza has been miscast. He's been forced to do more than he should be doing. He's a role player. He should be playing 3 and D on a lineup that emphasizes his 3 and D talents. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't been on that lineup yet. And I think if he if, if he's on the lineup that you and I mentioned where, you know, Booker's out there, he's with Mikel and TJ and Aiton, they can actually, you know, try on defense like they did against the Spurs. He can play with other players who are good in offense like Booker and TJ and, you know, do his 3 and D role. That's what we need him to do. That's what we signed him for. We didn't sign him to be, you know, a star player. So I think that's kind of what's been the problem with him so far. Yeah, I totally agree. I think this is one issue that you and I are pretty kind of uh, in step with. And and ironically, I seem to be uh, very out from, you know, the majority of of Suns fans with this one. I I think the whole reason that you signed Ariza is to play with the starters and and be a kind of fourth or fifth best starter in that lineup. You know, I've seen a lot of people mention that he should be playing in the second unit and all of a sudden he probably becomes the kind of first or second best player within that unit. And you're kind of just going to replicate what we've seen to date with the starters struggling, uh, Ariza has struggled. And if you move him to a major role in that bench unit, we're just going to see more of the same for a reason. So yeah, I think a, a question where there needs to be a little bit of patience with Suns fans, I think as the starters start to click a little bit more, we might actually see a reason's value a little bit more, but just on Melton and Bridges, Max, I think it's quite funny that, you know, we're, 
essentially with two rookies, we want Bridges to start with Booker so he can take a lot of the defensive assignments that Booker can't take. And we want Melton to start with either Crawford or Kanan so he can take a lot of the defensive assignments that those guys clearly can't take at the point of attack. And uh, it's pretty funny that we're already wanting to lean on, on two rookies that much for their defensive instincts and just shows... Uh, how little defense there is on this roster, Max. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's counterintuitive. It's not what most teams are like. Usually your rookies are your worst defenders, but uh, not on this team. And just to button up on the on the Razor point, I, I do think he's being unfairly criticized. I'm with you on that. The, the issue for Ariza is he's not going to be a defense onto himself. And he's been in these lineups where no one's caring. And it's really hard to play good defense when you're the only person on the court playing defense. Like, if you would have inserted Ariza into the starting lineup against the Spurs, the way they came out, and Aiton was trying on defense, Bridges was obviously doing stuff, even Booker was trying on defense, I think Ariza would have like, totally bought into that energy and been lifted up to it and been like a Houston Ariza. It's just hard to bring that energy every night when there's no other energy in the building. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. I think I've touched on it a few times on the pod of Ariza's kind of taking the toughest defensive matchup to start games. And for the most part, the Suns have, you know, started horribly. And, you know, it's just human nature. You you start to slack off if you're not getting that energy from everyone mm-hmm. else. And, and we've seen those kind of low light plays from him, you know, maybe later in games. So yeah, I think, as I said, we're in agreement on this one. He, he's being miscast a little bit and uh, I hope he can turn it around, but I'll move on to our, our third batch of questions here, Max. It, it is two again that are kind of similar and uh, a little humorous also. So Stephen Freeman, who's at Stevie PF, 22 said is the amount of hate Crawford gets from fans equal to the love his teammates seem to have for him and also uh, we've got Garrett Hamblin here who's at ghams33 who has asked has Jamal, Jamal Crawford ended up the mentor the Suns needed this whole time Max wow that was a lot uh, no to the last question I, I, I think so here's the thing about Jamal Crawford I, to answer these questions kind of together yep Yes, everyone who knows him loves him. It's very clear he's a great guy. The media just raves over him all the time. Uh, his teammates always rave about him. Every, everything about him just seems to be great, other than the fact that he's really just not a good basketball player anymore. Yeah. Which is my problem with him. I mean, listen, the Suns have enough bad basketball players. A guy who pounds the ball and takes horrible shots and, you know, ice it, all that crap, like, that's not what the Suns need right now. But listen, if he's... Let me, let me put it this way. If he's contributing to the effort the Suns are putting forth, like in the San Antonio game, like if they can only do that if he's playing, then it's worth having him play. I'm fine. Whatever. It's, he's not a good basketball player. So if you could just have him be an assistant coach and, and get that energy out there, I'd prefer that. But maybe it's not. I, I don't know, David. What do you think? I think it's obvious the team likes him. Uh, I think to, yeah. just to kind of address that first question, I think he's definitely someone that they're open to. I've been, you know, quite impressed with how much I've seen him talking to guys on the way to timeout huddles, kind of pointing things out. I think there's a real desire there from him to uh, execute Igor's system. So I, I, whilst we've seen some pretty junk shots from him at times, I think that's just his overall nature taking over sometimes wanting to get the team a bucket and as you said he he just not very very good at that these days and and shouldn't be doing it but for the most part I think he's he's trying to execute we've seen some nice passes from him you know 
passes that other guys on the team, you know, frankly can't make, uh, Kane and being one of them. Um, but yeah, I think vets kind of need to play to be truly effective, but he, he really should be a, you know, break glass in, in case of emergency type guy. I'm fine with throwing him out there in those like, you know, heavy defense lineups. We don't have many of them, Max, but you know, as we've discussed, if, <laughs> yeah. if you're going to throw Melton out there, uh, with bridges, you know, maybe Rashan Holmes, who, who you're bringing energy with, you know, when you've kind of got a deficit to maybe make up, you know, I think one thing that we have seen is, uh, we've gone on some runs where we've got, uh, quite a few stops in a row, but we haven't been able to score on the other end. And then, you know, the, the counter to that is we've had, uh, games where we're trying to chase leads, where we, we score lots of buckets, but just can't stop anything on the other end. So, you know, maybe, as you said, if you have to throw him out there as kind of a bucket getter while uh, you've got other guys kind of doing the little things, that's probably the role for him on this team, Max. You know what would make it more palatable for me? And tell me if you agree with this. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a lot easier to handle Crawford's minutes as a watcher if the Suns just cut Cannon started Booker, did the lineup we talked about earlier, and then the bench unit could have Crawford and Melton together. That would make it a lot easier for me to take Crawford's minutes. Yeah, which takes me all the way back to when Crawford was first rumored to join this team. You know, it was kind of a discussion that we had of like, how the hell do you keep Kanan and Crawford uh, right. on Right, they should have kept Shaq and cut Kanan or, you know, something like that. They just, Kanan and Crawford are too similar. Yep, and it's a it's a bit of a sliding doors question, I suppose. You know, they obviously brought Crawford in kind of right on the eve of uh, the the season starting, if I remember correctly. He kind of missed that first game because he oh, wasn't yeah. wasn't ready yet, or they weren't ready to make the the roster decision. But yeah, it, it's funny if we saw Crawford come in, you know, I guess when Kanan did instead of waiting for another opportunity. It, it would have been interesting to see how things kind of shook out there, Max. All right, next question comes from Stephen Freeman at Stevie PF22. His second one. Yes. His second one. I love Stevie. He's great. He's awesome on Twitter. Everyone should give him a follow. Uh, He asks, how would you describe Booker's leadership style, especially in light of the recent comments that he made in an article? David, do you want to give a quick recap before you answer of what Booker said? Yeah, so we saw some quotes from Josh Jackson, of all people, after the Spurs game. It came from a, a Bob Young uh, article on the athletics. So Stevens pointed these out. I'll go with the the first quote from Josh here, which was one of the things he's really been trying to show a lot of the guys on the team is the right spots to be in. Sometimes Devin, he'll make a pass and it'll be a turnover and he does it to prove a point to a guy sometimes to show them, hey, that's where you're supposed to be. That's the open shot. Interesting, Max. Yeah, uh, I love it. I mean, my initial reaction to this was that I just really, really liked it. Um, Devin Booker was criticized a little bit, I think, for his performance the other night. And I think he may have even responded to that criticism on Twitter. He said something like, some people aren't worth talking basketball with or something like that. Yep. Uh, I agree. I, I I tweeted after the game that I thought Booker's game was actually pretty impressive. His maturity level I thought was impressive. I think in his earlier years he would have... You know, obviously he came out to start the game like wanting to pass and do that stuff. I think in his earlier years when it wasn't going well in the first half, he would have just abandoned that entirely and started gunning. Yeah. Because that's you know, kind of his natural tendency. But no, he didn't. That, he kept up with what he knew the team needed. He, the team needs a playmaker. The pointless guard's not going to do it. 
Devin Booker's got to be the guy. He's the best playmaker on the team, even when he's committing those stupid turnovers. And the fact that some of those turnovers were committed because he was trying to show his teammates where to be, like, I love that kind of leadership. That's great. Like, Devin Booker's not going to do that in the playoffs, obviously. He's not going to intentionally commit turnovers in the playoffs. But at this point in the season, when you're when you're losing and it, it doesn't really matter, like, I don't mind him throwing a pass to a, a, uh, you know, a spot where someone's not there and saying, hey, look, you should have been there. Because guess what? That sends the message much more clearly to the guy than just, like, Giving a ba- uh, you know an evil glare that he wasn't there. You know I, I love it. I, I think it's great. I love what Booker did. I'm super happy with it. Uh, and I'll let you respond before I go into what I think Booker's leadership style is. Yeah, well, I'll just jump straight into that part of things, I guess, straight away, Max, and then you can come in after that. But yeah, I think yep. it's important to remember that he's 22 years old. So up until mm-hmm. now, we've pretty much seen his leadership style, so to speak, be trying to put the team on his back. Sometimes it comes off and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, it, it's come off more often than not in clutch situations, as many people have pointed out, which is great for him to have. But this is a real sign of maturity. I think there was some turnovers in the first half that he definitely can't uh, put this quote down to. He, you know, he was forced into those turnovers. He, you know, I think if he tried to argue that he meant a couple of those, then uh, that's going to fall on deaf ears. But you know, there are a couple that stand out to me where he clearly did throw the ball to, um, you know, a space where a guy should have been. And whether he's showing them that or not, I'm not too sure. That's essentially what he's alluding to here. And, uh, you know, the the quote from him on Twitter, I actually almost link to this, you know, that maybe he yeah. was uh, alluding to the fact that you've got to show guys you can't, there's some people that you can't just tell. I think there's probably no doubt that he would be the guy on the team that knows Igor's system best because I just think he's the the biggest basketball junkie out of everyone on the roster and I just know he would have studied everything in the offseason uh, particularly with that injury that he have that might have been the only thing that he could do early on uh, in his rehab so you know I think this is a sign of maturity from a 22 year old who's realizing that uh, there's other ways to lead this team other than just putting them on his back completely. Uh, he had a lot of turnovers, but he also had a career-high 12 assists in that game, Max. And I, I, the last thing I'd say is that I just love seeing him at the end of the game when Igor took him out with about a minute and a half left. Uh, we saw them kind of stand on the sideline and, and really discuss a few things. And that kind of bled into a few quotes uh, after the game as well of uh, the team kind of getting to get together to discuss kind of what happened in that game and, and what clicked for them. So yeah, real signs of leadership there from our very young leader, Max. I think you make a really good point by bringing up the fact that he is 22 years old. Like, which great leader in history has been a fully developed leader at 22 years old? <laughs> it doesn't exactly. happen very often. Exactly. Uh, I w- but if you want me to describe his leadership style so far... You know, it's very much a lead by example, right? He's not the fiery guy who's barking instructions to the to the teammates to get in the correct defensive rotations and all that stuff. Like that's not him. Yeah, he's the guy who's gonna do. He does what he does right, and he you know he works really hard. And he, like, I think he's a guy you want your other players to model themselves after. I'm not sure he's the guy you want leading your players only huddle. And they might still have to find that guy. We'll see. Maybe he'll develop and do it. I'm not sure, but. You know, I, I've been very vocal on this podcast saying that I think this team's lacking a vocal leader. Yep. Uh, I, I still think that, even though they're playing better. I think Mikel Bridges has almost been their spiritual, like, energy leader, sort of. But, like, they need, like, a vocal, real leader. And they're not going to get that this season, I don't think. I'm, I'm not that hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope it comes in the future. And maybe in the future, that will be Devin Booker. 
But right now it's not. He's more of a lead by example, uh, quiet, cool type. So that's kind of how I view Devin Booker's leadership style. Yeah, I, I think you've kind of nailed it on the head there. I, I would say, you know, it's a little scary when any guy, whether it's Devin Booker or, or Jason Tatum, uh, mentions that their idol growing up was Kobe Bryant, and we kind of saw a little bit of that. Is that a shot at me for having him as the number one player under, under 23 or whatever? <laughs> it was not. It definitely wasn't. I, I'm just, yeah, bringing up a couple of guys who we've seen kind of mention Kobe as, as their guy. Uh, in the past and you know maybe this is a bit of a a pivotal moment where we're seeing Booker realize that you know there's many ways to lead a team and 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 I'm a little less scared that he's going to go down the Kobe path going forward after seeing some of the stuff from him uh, more recently Max but I think we should jump into some longer term questions here that we've got from some of the followers so let's do it this one is from Cody Hunt who is at co underscore d hunt on Twitter if anyone wants to give him a follow uh, and there's also another one from DQ, who's at the Danny Maji, uh, who have asked very similar questions here about our boy TJ. So given his development, where does TJ's contract rank among the best value deals in the NBA? And DQ asked, should we keep Warren now? What do you think, Max? Uh, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I was probably among the most vocal people on Twitter, at least, saying that TJ's contract was a negative. Mm-hmm. Because I think it what based on his previous play, it was negative. And I mean, Mia culpa on this fully. I'm ready to say that I was wrong because I didn't think TJ Warren could do it. He clearly can. He is a good three point shooter now, David. I'm willing to say that. I'm not sure he's as good as he looks like right now. Right now, he looks like one of the best three point shooters in the entire league. I'm not sure that's where he's at. And the stats back it up. He's he's kind of up there with the leaders so far, still at 46%, uh, but just 23 of 50. Uh, I, I shouldn't say mm-hmm. just because that's, that's a great clip, but in terms of sample size, we're still just talking 53 pointers, but the signs are great, Max. Yeah, the, I think the sample size is enough for me to say he can shoot threes now. It's not enough for me to say that he's a 46% three-point shooter or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean? exactly. So here's the thing. So where does his contract rank? So if he is really one of the best three-point shooters in the league, it's an incredible contract. Yep. Because he's in one of the better offensive players in the league. Like if he's shooting threes like this, he's an insane offensive player. I think I saw since he started, he's been averaging – uh, 25 and a half points per game on, you know, these crazy shooting splits, like insane percentage. Like if that's who he is, then, you know, I'm not going to say he's a max player because he plays, you know, still kind of mediocre defense, but he's, you know, approaching that, right? If he's shooting like that, if he's more of a, you know, league average three-point shooter or, you know, even like a, you know, reasonably good three-point shooter, I think he is exceeding his contract in value. Probably he's probably like, I don't know, either the best sixth man in the league or like a you know, a decent starter. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with your sentiment again. He he's on he's locked in for the next four years at eleven and a half million on average, which, you know, as you said, we were both very worried about that contract going into the season, Max and uh, it, it's an interesting one. I can't remember who first pointed it out to me, but you know, with rookies, you kind of have to be careful. I think you know we saw this that in uh, a comment from Aiton uh, wanting to just get to his second contract. I think a lot of guys 
just want to prove what they can do really, really well for the first four years of their career to get them that next contract. And then, you know, we start to see improvements to their game when they've kind of got that guaranteed money locked in. We kind of expected it to come last season after TJ already got the extension, but maybe, you know, with all the stories we've seen about how much work he actually put into his three-point shot, maybe it was, you know, a little too late in last year's off season to put that work in for him. But, you know, I'll kind of say in terms of uh, his kind of value contract wise amongst the league, we'll get into a a game a bit later on around that. So I won't delve too much into other NBA players, Max, but uh, I looked up per 36 numbers because, you know, he is in and out of the starting lineup. Uh, He's a top 35 scorer in the NBA right now. If you look at per 36, Uh, if you kind of cut out some guys who aren't playing significant minutes, of course. And there's really only four guys above him that aren't on rookie deals that are making less. And that's Derek Rose, Montrez Harrell, Julius Randle, and Lou Williams. So I think he's definitely playing up to his contract right now. And as we'll get into a little bit later, I think he's kind of approaching Robert Covington sort of territory in terms of the value of his contract and what you might be able to do with it, Max. Yeah, that's really interesting because Robert Covington uh, is a really, really good wing defender, right? Yeah. But he was sort of worthless in the playoffs, so it's it's tough. But it's kind of like if you're trying to win a championship, I still am not sure TJ Warren is what you want as unless he's a sixth man because you if you have a starters you need them to play defense around your ultimate star players right yeah and the idea of this team it's going to be Booker is going to be the you know the offensive focal point and Aiton's going to be you know either that or the secondary one so you kind of need defense around them and we still haven't seen it from him hey maybe he'll add it because he added the three point shooting we didn't think it was coming so maybe but you know I, I still think he projects more as a sixth man so that's what's tough. Yeah, that's why I uh, mentioned Covington, because obviously he's, you know, a bit of the antithesis of Warren, as you said, but, you know, just got traded for Jimmy Butler. So just to kind of address DQ's question about whether we should keep Mm -hmm. him, I think, you know, the value of his contract suggests that you should definitely keep him going forward until you are presented with an option like Philly just was in terms of upgrading that position because, you know, Covington was great value, but if you're really pushing to be a contender in the playoffs and you get offered someone like Jimmy Butler, then it's a great contract to throw into a trade like that, Max. David, you literally just stole the thought out of my mind. (laughs) (laughs) My next point was going to be, yeah, you keep him until you can trade him for that next star thing. The Suns fans are always wanting the star trade. Guess what? If Warren keeps this up, you finally have the asset that teams will want in a star trade. Exactly. Along with the picks and stuff. It's perfect. That's what you want. Okay, let's go ahead and move on, though. We have another pair of questions here. One comes from Jared Renko on Twitter. He's at JM Renko. He asks... What trade at the deadline do you foresee? Another comes from Ben Adam. He's at Ben Adam Eleven on Twitter. Both of these guys are great, by the way. Give them follows. They are. I love interacting with Definitely. them. Definitely. Uh, and Ben asks, "Do the Suns consider moving Ariza? Ideas on return and destination?" David. First thing I'll say is obviously Ariza cannot be traded until December fifteen, which is you know about a month away, Max. Uh, so we are thinking more kind of trade deadline with both of these. I wouldn't be trading Ariza, you know, as soon as you can uh, make that trade on December 15. I think you're really only sending him to a contender 
uh, towards the end at the at the deadline and, and somewhere that he probably is going to be happy going or else uh, you, you might cop a little flack with, with that signing. But I'm looking at restricted guys here. I know McDonough's gone, but, you know, the team's always kind of looked at these guys that are coming into restricted free agency that uh, their teams aren't really interested in. So, you know, D'Angelo Russell's one who we've talked about quite a bit. Tyus Jones is another who we've also touched on quite a bit, so I won't go into. Uh, and DeLon Wright, uh, is another guy in uh, Toronto, Max, uh, who might be looking for uh, someone of Ariza's ilk to help. And I'm going to throw a random one because we've discussed all those three guys uh, quite a lot before. I'm going to throw in Jordan Bell as a possible trade target. Ooh, as interesting. A, as a guy who, you know, the Warriors uh, can't really re-sign him going forward. He's another restricted free agent. I don't know what the trade would look like, but if you can get them a piece that helps them in the playoffs, Max, uh, I'd be interested in Jordan Bell as, as a piece on this team going forward. So now you have me quickly Googling Golden State Warriors uh, contracts. I want to see how this works. I agree with you. So here's the thing. So if you're trying to trade Trevor Ariza, I think you were looking to trade him to a contender, right? Who else would want him? It's got to be a contender. And I think that Golden State would obviously love to have Trevor Ariza on the team. Uh, It's going to be difficult to make the contract situation work because Jordan Bell makes $1.3 million a year. Yeah. I'm now seeing. And Trevor Ariza makes $15 million a year. But, uh, man, so I would love to do that. Maybe get Quinn Cook, too, because Quinn Cook is real good. Um, and he could play guard for you. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, like I said, the money. Maybe if Sean Livingston is, like, done with him. I haven't seen how he's been playing this year. But if he's done with him, maybe that's the guy you go for. Probably is he's, he's another year under contract. So, I don't know. I don't know if that'll work, but I like the idea. Yeah, I think it's a situation, it, it may not be an Ariza situation, it may be something else where, you know, they've kind of backed themselves into a corner here with Jordan Bell, and that they may just take an asset uh, because they're pretty much going to lose him, Max. So, yeah, I think for Ariza, as you said, you, you're looking at $15 million in salary and contenders, so uh, you've you've got other options to look at in other teams that, that probably aren't the Warriors. Yeah, the one I'm looking at and the one that I, I can't get over is the Pacers. Because they're they are sort of like a contender that's fighting from behind the four East Behemoths. Yep. And they not only not only that, they also have two point guards. Uh Darren Collison and Corey Joseph, one of whom would presumably be somewhat expendable considering they have Tyree Evans in the team also. And Holiday uh coming through the wings as well. Exactly, my favorite player, Aaron Holiday. <laughs> so you could also just the, the probably their biggest glaring hole is they don't have a small forward. Mm-hmm. Like you, you plug Ariza in there, it makes a lot of sense. That's the team I'm staring at. Could totally see Ariza going there, and one of those point guards coming back, and maybe something else, something small. Uh, but yeah, I, I think generally the sentiment makes sense. I think Ariza is somebody who we're going to be shopping. I'd be surprised if we're not, just because I think he's going to have value to contenders, and you know we're going to look for a point guard. And yeah, it's hard to get a point guard. Yeah, I definitely looked at Indiana as an option, but couldn't really come up with an interesting trade there. But there, there's definitely options, Max. But I've got four other options here for a quick oh, wow. yes-no game. You ready? Yes, let's do it. Utah, struggling a little bit at the moment, want to be a playoff contender. Max, would you do Derek Favors, who's essentially an expiring, and Dante Exum for Ariza and Bender? Oh my God, are you, are you serious? Of course I would do that. <laughs> Uh, OKC Thunder, would you do Ariza for Andre Robeson if he's, 
you know, looking healthy but not going to be contributing to the Thunder's playoff hopes towards the end of the season and has, I believe, another year of $10 million on his contract and will throw a Brenus in for contract matching purposes. Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, man, you know what? God, that's tough because he's such a good defender and the Suns could use a defender of his caliber. But, man, they really have, like... I want to trade Ariza for, like, not a wing because <laughs> we have wings who need to play, and obviously he's a wing. Ugh, I don't know. That's tough. I might not do that. All right. We are looking at the Clippers now, who we kind of were confused about going into the season, but they definitely look like a playoff contender at this point, Max. They're so good. if we were still eyeing off Patrick Beverly towards the trade deadline, more for going forward purposes and re-signing him, would you do Trevor Ariza for Marcin Gortat, whose money would just come off the books, and Patrick Beverly? I would do that for sure. I don't think the Clippers would. I've been hearing stories about how <laughs> how Patrick Beverly is basically mentoring everybody on the team and just like a fucking awesome guy in the locker room. So I don't think he's available, but yes, I would do that. That's why we'd want him. And I already know the answer to this last question, Max, but... We're going to Philadelphia, who are going all in for this playoffs after going for Jimmy Butler. Would you do Trevor Ariza for Wilson Chandler, who is another expiring contract, and the very paltry throw-in of Landry Shamit? <laughs> oh my god, I mean, yeah, what else can I throw in? <laughs> That's it, Max, that's all I got, so we should go to our third section of questions here for longer-term ones. Yep, let's go for it. All right, three questions that are all linked here, so I'll rattle them off real quick. So we've got at Kerry Steven, who has said, assuming we stretch Anderson and let Bender go, how much money do we have and who is the best free agent outside of the top names that we can go after? Uh, the Real T Martz, who is Tyler on Twitter, said, assuming the Suns don't draft a point guard, what free agent would you go after or who would be an ideal fit with Booker and Melton? And our good friend Ali, who's at AliCos1, asks, would you prefer a big name like Rubio and Miritich next free agency period, plus a steady vet, or three to four guys all between five to ten million? And he rattled off a few names there, but I think we, you know, we've kind of talked about those sort of options before, Max. So, uh... I'll just start by answering Kerry's question there before I throw you in, Max. So the question around cap space, if they waived Anderson but didn't stretch him, they'd be looking at around $27 million. And if they decided to stretch that uh, dead money, we can open up roughly $37 million. So what are you thinking around free agents here, Max? That's another heavy hitter group of uh, question askers. <laughs> they're all very smart guys on Twitter. Yep. And they're making us think. I like that. So, the best free agent, I'll go in order here. So, the best free agent outside the top names, I assume when you say top names are like the superstars. Uh, Middleton, Chris Middleton, if you don't consider him a top name, that's probably my favorite. I mean, I know we have a lot of wings, but he's sort of like a guard wing, and he's perfect. I mean, I just love him. His game's great. With Booker, he'd be great. Him and Mikel surrounding Booker would be the best thing ever. Yeah, that's kind of where I draw the line, I think. I think, you know, Durant, Irving, etc., Butler, they're all above that line, and then Middleton's kind of the line, and, and then all these other guys we're probably going to mention are, are below that. So, yeah, I'd be starting with Mil Middleton and, and working your way down so you don't waste too much time on July 1. Yep, I think Middleton's a max contract guy, right, David? You give him max? 
it's probably what it's going to take to even maybe get him away from Milwaukee. So, yeah, I think that's what you're talking. You're kind of talking that kind of money. Middleton's kind of like Clay, but like just not as like insane of a shooter, like just like a normally good shooter, but otherwise he's Clay. It's kind of how I look at him. Gives you a bit more playmaking and a little less mm-hmm. defense. So, yeah, pretty much a wash there, I would say. A little less, but he's a good defender. Oh, yeah, like, totally. But Clay's like, you know, Clay's amazing. Yeah, Clay's underrated as a defender. He's a really damn good defender. Uh, so going into the point guards, Tyler asks about what we would do for an ideal fit with Booker and Melton. Well, if you're asking me if Melton's good, like, as I think he is, then he kind of, I think, is the point guard. But you, I think if you have Booker and Melton as the starting unit, you kind of want a spark plug off the bench, sort of. Yep. Um, and so that would be Okobo, ideally. You would, you would need a free agent. But I don't know. I haven't really looked at the spark pluggy kind of guys off the bench, David. Is Patty Mills a free agent? He's kind of the guy I want. Uh, I think he's still locked in a little bit more. But I'd go the other way. I'd go back to Patrick Beverly here, Max. I think if Melton mm. shows, if Melton shows towards the end of the year that he's got a future, you know, not necessarily that he's going to start next to start next season next to Booker, but that you've kind of. Uh, pegging him as your future starter with Booker. You know, what better guy is there to learn off than Patrick Beverly? Beverly would probably be happy to start and then, you know, give his minutes up like he is right now to Shea Gilgus Alexander. Uh, and I think he'd be the perfect mentor uh, and, you know, bring a lot of those things that we've spoken about many, many times before on this podcast around, you know, leadership and things like that, Max. Yep, I totally agree with that. And the other point guard I'd really like to consider is in the next question from Allie, I think Ricky Rubio would be awesome. Yeah, perfect. another guy we've talked about quite a bit and that would, you know, obviously if Eagle is still around at that point in time, match up quite well with him. Yeah, and just to answer Allie's question more broadly, uh, if I'd rather do a steady vet or a big name, he, he, he says big name, Rubio and Miritich, I think, they're big names to nerds like Ali, me, and you. They're not big names to like. They're not Kevin Durant. So when he says big name, he means like a a good, like you know, solid starting player. Or would we rather have a steady vet and you know a bunch of guys who make a little bit of money? Yeah. I, I think we we touched on this before, David. I I think the Suns should pay a good player. They yeah. Need a, they just need a good player. Yeah, I think Ali's question's really around like, do you spend twenty million on one guy? Or you know, twenty million on four guys, and I think, and I say twenty million one guy. Yeah, and, and I agree. I think you know, people might think that if Booker and Aiton take you know another leap for the rest of this season, that you know maybe you would lean more towards getting you know four or five cheaper guys to kind of build around them. But you know, it's actually the opposite of that, in my opinion. You, you're actually going to go and pay one or two guys big money to add to those guys, particularly while Aiton is on his rookie contract. Or or you're kind of wasting the situation, I think, Max. One guy we should mention, just because he's talked about all the time on Suns Twitter. Yep. Uh, a guy who I do like, Terry Rozier, David. I think that's going to be somebody who's linked to the Suns a lot in the offseason. What do you think? Like, what Would you go after Terry Rozier, and what kind of contract would you offer him? I would go after Terry Rozier at the trade deadline, Max. And if they can't get him then, I'm not too sure that I'm all that comfortable going to him in free agency and offering, you know, north of $15 million. I'm not actually the biggest Terry Rozier fan. I don't think he's shown enough, at least to this point. Maybe if he stays with Boston and has yet another good playoff series like we saw last year, which kind of put him on Suns fans' radars, you know, maybe he'd be a little bit more comfortable. But, you know, he's still... 
a, a bad shooter. I, I think he's an overrated defender. I, I'm not the biggest Rozier fan. You're, you're maybe better a better person to, to answer this question, Max. So, you know, I, I generally agree that he's he's definitely overrated. I think that's, at this point, he's overrated. However, like, I do think he's, like, he's not a bad shooter. I mean, he's shooting 39-ish percent from three this year. He was at 38 last year. Like, I think he's a decent shooter. Yeah. Uh, I do think, while you say he's an overrated defender, I think that's maybe true in terms of, like, you know, just kind of what his capacity is to defend, like, you know, bigger players and stuff like that. But I, I do think his, his effort and his intensity is good. Like, I think he's a really intense player, which is something the Suns really need. So I, I love the idea of him and the Suns just kind of from his personality and the way, you know, he would he would act and the way he would sort of instill the same sort of like, hey, we got to try every night. This is the NBA. You can't take nights off like you've done for the past, you know, three years. Like, yeah. I, I do think he's a good culture guy. I do agree with you. His skill-wise is overrated. That's why I, I'd be in on paying him, like, $12 million a year, but I don't think it's what you're going to get and restricted free agency for him. So I, I, I kind of see where your point here. Yeah, I think it's going to cost you a little bit more than that, and that's where it gets a little dicey, I suppose. That's why I'm probably more interested if they manage to uh, get him at the deadline. You know, maybe Boston's looking for, you know, a piece to, to make a playoff run. They know they're not bringing Terry back, and therefore, you know, they... they send him off to the Suns, you know, may even take a three-team trade to make it happen. And we kind of get to see 30 games with him running Igor's stuff before we truly commit that money. So, you know, you, you're looking at another Alfred Payton situation where you kind of burn an asset to do that. But I think it's worth a look. Uh, I'll throw a couple more just random names out here that we haven't mentioned before, just so we're not touching on the same names time and time again. I think Suns fans need to be... A, a little prepared that, you know, we're not going to be the top destination here. Free agency is going to be a lot different this year. Uh, things are going to open up a lot more. A lot more teams are going to have money, and therefore the Suns might be, uh, you know, looking at overpays or, or second-tier guys. So a couple of guys who have been linked to the Suns in the recent past. Paul Millsap might be out of Denver by the time July comes around, Max. So, you know, he might be a guy that you look at short-term in the power forward position. And uh, JJ Redick rumored or, or or reported himself on a podcast that he almost signed with the Suns last season. Uh, and more shooting is something that this team is going to need. David, <laughs> I kind of wish you would have gotten JJ Redick. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been nice. Yeah, it would have been nice. Maybe next offseason. Uh... Maybe next offseason. Should we move on to some rapid-fire questions we want to ask? Let's do this, and let's get through it real quick, Max. You first. All right, so at Toby, at Cato Bias, I think is how you might say that. That's David? good with me. Okay, he asks, would you rather win half of our games, I assume for the rest of the year, and miss the playoffs still, or get Zion Williamson? David, what do you think? This one's actually really tough. I'm going to go the opposite of what I think you would go. And I'd actually say that we win half our games uh, purely because, you know, if we get Zion, it's going to be a pretty depressing season for the rest of the year and uh, things won't be looking good for the future. Whereas if we win half our games, that's going to mean a lot of things are going right, Max. This is not tough for me. Uh, I think Zion Williamson is basically the best project since LeBron. So I'll get him. I think he'll fix everything. I don't, I'm not worried about anything else but him. All right. Alexander Carsey has asked, was Booker's distribution versus the Spurs a sign he wants to be the point guard and get Kanan out of the lineup for Mikhail, Max? Definitely get Kanan out of the lineup for Mikhail, yes. The first part of that, 
Uh, I think it was a sign that Booker knows he has to be the PG right now because he's the best one. I don't think it's a sign he wants to be it going forward. Yes, and I don't think it's a personal thing against Kanan, but I agree. I think he is trying to show that he might be the best option for right now, Max. At Craig A. Hamill, who, by the way, I wear his designs all the time. He's a great artist on Twitter. Follow him. Buy his shirts because they're awesome. Uh, Does Booker dislike Aiton? David. I think he asked this one a little bit in jest, but I could actually probably do a whole episode on this, Max, and what we've seen in the game so far, but we won't do that here. We'll go rapid fire. I'll say dislike, no. Is he frustrated with him? Yes. I have nothing to add. That's exactly what I think. And another good friend of ours, Mike Lisboa on Twitter. That's his at too, if you want to follow him. He has asked, excluding the 38-year-old Jamal Crawford, which current son is most likely to retire as a son, Max? I thought this was kind of hard until I realized I could cheat and say Booker because Booker will probably be on the team for a long time, then go chase championship, and then come back and retire on a one-day contract with the Suns. <laughs> it is a tricky one. I found it tricky too. Uh, I think Booker's the, I guess, popular and, and positive answer, but not many guys spend their whole career with one NBA team anymore, Max. So uh, I'll go in with a bit of humor here and I'll say once Kanan is cut from the Suns, he will never be on an NBA roster again. <laughs> and therefore, he what? technically retires a Sun, Max. How could anyone not want a pointless guard? <laughs> uh, all right, David, let's get into Did You Know. Let's do it. Well, Max, did you know our most recent win over the Spurs and just our third win for the season was the first time we've beaten San Antonio in six tries. The Suns, of course, lost our first encounter this season and all four matchups last season too. The last regular season Phoenix win was on Jan 14, 2017, where the Suns mm. beat the Spurs 108 to 105. As- in Mexico, right? Uh, Yes, it was. As we know, the Spurs had our number throughout many playoff runs, Max, during the seven seconds or less era, but they also dominated Phoenix throughout the regular season too. In 171 regular season games to date, the current head-to-head record stands at 94-77 to in the Spurs' favor, Max. In fact, when we face off the Spurs again on December 11th, the Suns will be going for consecutive wins over the Spurs for the first time in quite a while. This is a total full-court heave at the buzzer question for here, Max, but can you guess in what season the Suns last put two wins together against the Spurs? You would never have asked this question if we had a guest on. This is the kind of thing you punish me with. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, man. 2013. How about that? It was the 07-08 season, a roster (laughs) featuring Nash, Bell, Stoudemire, Hill, Barbosa and Dior, all guys close to our hearts, Max. And that's the one also where we went, we traded for Shaq and went to the playoffs and lost that devastating uh, 4-1 series. And I you know, may as well not read out like the next three lines of Did You Know There, Max. <laughs> so as you said, it was the season that we traded Sean Marion for Shaquille O'Neal. So I'll throw a quiz at you and see how good you know that trade. Which random Suns player joined Marion in that deal to the Heat, Max? 
Oh, damn it. Uh, jeez, I don't I don't remember. <laughs> it was none other than Marcus Banks, who also went oh, with Marion. I man, man, I do not like Marcus Banks. Go on. <laughs> he also went with Marion to Toronto when he was traded again. So uh, the ultimate salary filler guy there, Max. But as you just <laughs> said, uh, which showed great knowledge for from you there, Max, the Suns <laughs> won 55 games that season. But of course, drew the Spurs in the first round, and as you said, were bounced out 4-1 in a first round elimination. Now back then, the Suns actually led the head-to-head battle, which just shows how bad things have gotten. So since the start of the 08-09 season, the Spurs have won 30 games to the Suns' 9. Pretty depressing. As I mentioned, the Suns play the Spurs again this season on December 11, and then one final time on January 29. So we'll have a while to bask in the glory of our 20-point recent win, Max. Whilst we haven't won many games against them recently, the recent win was actually only our first 20-point win over them since 2014. On Feb 21, 2014, the Suns beat San Antonio 106-85 to at home. Max, do you want to take a wild guess at who our top scorer was in that game? Oh, man. Is it going to be a Morris brother? Because if it's a Morris brother, I'm going to be sad. It is definitely a Morris brother. <laughs> Markeith Morris. Markeith Morris scored 21 points off the bench that night, and he was one of five guys to hit double digits in that game. Channing Fry had 17, Gerald Green had 13, Ish Smith had 15, and the other Morris also had 13 points. Now, after that, Max, you have to go all the way back to 1999 to find another Phoenix 20-point win over the Spurs. At that point, the Suns held the head-to-head matchup 54-43, but the Spurs team featured a head coach by the name of Greg Popovich and a young center named Tim Duncan. Max, from 99 until 2018, the Spurs have had one head coach, and guess how many times they've drafted in the lottery? From 99 on? Yep. Uh, Does that include Duncan or no? No. I'm going to guess... Man, it might be zero times. It's close to that. It is zero. In that same time, Max, the Suns have had 10 head coaches and picked in the lottery (laughs) 13 times. It's a pretty Mm. stark contrast and the type of continuity our team needs to strive for. It's still a very big if right now, but maybe the Suns can get some of those wins back over the Spurs now that Duncan is retired and Pop probably won't be coaching for too much longer. This, did you know, wasn't meant to be all depressing. So after mentioning Pop's first season coaching record last episode in this segment, Max, I'll leave you and the listeners with a small bit of hope. Tim Duncan was the number one overall pick who happened to be born on a Caribbean island. Greg Popovich was a first-time head coach who won just 17 games in his first season. I think you can see where I'm going with this, Max. Stay the course, Suns fans. That's it for this week, and I'm excited to answer a few more mailbag questions now about the NBA in general, Max. Let's do it. That was fun. So, guys, if you felt good about that 20-point win over the Spurs, just remember, actually, the Spurs own us, so don't feel good about it. 
I'm going to throw the first question out here, which is a nice blend between our son's mailbag and general NBA mailbag here, Max. Uh, It's a TJ Warren game. It comes from our question from Corey Hunt about Warren's value in the league and some of the best contracts currently in the NBA. So as we noted earlier on in the pod, Max, Remember when we played the which bad deal would you do for TJ back in the off season? I very much do. <laughs> well, this time I had a look around the league for non-rookie deals that I thought were good value that were kind of in the range in terms of years and money of TJ Warren. And we're going to play, would you take TJ or this player in a vacuum? Are you ready, Max? Okay, so this is in a vacuum, this is not for the Suns. It's not for the Suns, and it's not in any kind of trade. It's just which deal is more value. Let's do it. So just for context, as we said, uh, including this year, TJ Warren has four years, around about 11.5 per year. So Victor Oladipo, he's got three years left, including this year, at $21 million per year max. That's unfair to TJ. Victor Oladipo would be a top 10 player, so him. Bradley Beal, three years that go 25, 27, 28. Getting closer, but still, Bradley Beal is a star. You take a star every time. Clint Capella has five years that go 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 max. If TJ Warren is actually a uh, above 40% three-point shooter, it might be him, actually. Robert Covington, who we mentioned before, who's basically the exact same identical deal as TJ Warren. Who you got? It depends on what you need. I think if you're like the Warriors, you're contending, you take Covington because you need that defense. But on our team, I think probably Warren. And two guys who I just wanted to note, who because I think they have had great years so far. Drew Holiday has four years at $25 million with a player option at the end, Max. He's so good. I got to go through. He's so good. He's just ridiculous at the moment. Last one, and and kind of putting my hand up here, I thought this was a bad deal at the time like we did with TJ, but he's playing quite well this season. Yusuf Nurkic has four years, 12 million per, and the fourth year is actually non-guaranteed, Max. I didn't realize he was playing so well this season, but that's that's an easy TJ for me. Uh, I don't typically value what Nurkic brings. All right, let's jump into question two here, Max. Over to you. All right, let's do it. So this is at Scotty, CO21. He asks, Draymond or KD? Whose side are you on? I am on team get KD to leave the Warriors at (laughs) any way possible, Max. That's my team. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. Uh, But generally, it's for me, just to answer the question directly, like, I mean... I, I, it depends on what Draymond said. If he was like overly personal, like come on, man, you got to be a little mature than that. But like at the same time, like it, you're allowed to fight a little bit in basketball. Like it, that's kind of what you do when you're in a competitive sport. Yep. You you get mad at each other. It's fine. So like if it, to me, it's this. It's like I'm on the side of the guy who like was like the, not the person who was turning this into a giant drama because like there's no reason for it to be a giant drama. Yeah. Unless one of the guys like. And by, when I say one of the guys, I mean Draymond. Unless Draymond crosses like a really bad line. Yeah, I think you know. Going back to my point, I think the NBA needs a shakeup. So I kind of love this story, yeah. and the more that they fight, the better, as far as I'm concerned. David, but... impromptu question: Would you trade for Draymond Green right now? 
Yes, I think he ticks almost all the boxes. Yep. Things we've too. discussed around leadership, spark, on-court leader. Pretty great fit. He'd, I'm sure Eagle would love him for the things that he mm-hmm. can do. Uh, yes, 100%. But I think you know New York and LA are obviously the rumored teams that come up. Uh, Phoenix is absolutely no chance for Kevin Durant. I'm sorry, Suns fans, but no, uh, no chance. I'm leaning Lakers on this one. I don't know about you, Max, but I, I'm kind of leaning Lakers. I think he's one player that might actually want to go and join uh, LeBron James, who you know has you know what? committed long term. I, I I very much disagree with you on that. Ooh, here's why. Can I tell you why? Go for it. I think he's already done the thing where he joins someone else's team and doesn't get the credit he thinks he deserves. Yep. And I think that if he joined LeBron, he just the same thing would happen in his mind at least. So I think if he's going to do anything, it's going to be either the Clippers, just because the Clippers have just such a good situation. Like that team is so ready made for a star to pop in because they have everything else. Very uh, true. Or and then New York would be just the New York thing. Like I think if you if you if you took the Clippers roster and put it in New York, I think it'd be already a signed, sealed, delivered deal. He'd be there. Yeah. Uh, the problem with New York is just the roster, but yeah, yeah that's interesting. Katie's free agency is fascinating. Yeah, it's a good point by you too. I think if he's going to leave the Warriors, and it's due to, you know, not just this story, but a lot of the things surrounding it about him, you know, wanting his own team back, not feeling valued by the Warriors anymore for what he does. You know, he may want to go somewhere and be the guy. The, the Clippers are an interesting one. I hadn't really thought about that. And, and obviously the Knicks too, where he would be uh, the focal point. But should we jump into the last one, Max? Let's do it. I do want to say one more last thing on this is that I do think if I had to bet my money on it, I would bet on Katie staying with the Warriors. Uh, two reasons why. Because I think Katie respects basketball history and they have a chance to like literally win five or six titles in a row. And also because they're gonna have that new arena next year, it's gonna be a completely badass, like the state of the art, insane San Francisco arena. I think that I don't know who would want to leave that. So those are the reasons why they go stay. Yeah, and and the Warriors are gonna do everything because of that new arena to to make that happen. I think mm-hmm. so. Our last question here is from Ben Warner, who is at Warner Ben on Twitter. If anyone wants to follow him, he asks, which, if any, of last year's top NBA rookies are you worried about? You can go a couple of ways with this question, Max, but uh, give me your take. Yeah, so I interpreted this as being the top rookies in terms of performance last year, not in terms of where they were drafted. Yep. So I looked at Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, and Ben Simmons who were pretty unanimously the best three rookies last year. Yep. And uh, all of whom, who I think, uh, you know, they've struggled. I think everyone kind of would admit that. None of them have been that great this season, maybe all worse than they were last year, which is surprising. Yep. Uh, In terms of who I'm the most worried about, I mean, I went into this season being worried about Donovan Mitchell just because he hasn't shown uh, a propensity to be an efficient scorer yet, which I think people kind of gave him credit for. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this season's been kind of even worse. He just, I'm not sure he can shoot, and I'm not sure he can draw fouls. And if you're a guard who can't shoot or draw fouls, you're kind of struggling with efficiency. That's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll say, but in terms of like what my opinion has changed, like Jason Tatum, I, that guy's got to stop shooting uh, mid-range jumpers. Kobe. The reason why I didn't, it's Kobe. <laughs> the reason why I didn't like him in the draft, why I was desperately hoping that Suns didn't get him is because he shot too many mid-range jumpers. I thought he was Carmelo 2.0. And the first year of his NBA career, he made me look like a moron because all he did was shoot threes at an amazing clip and play defense. And then, you know, obviously take over in the playoffs and, and get to the room whenever he wanted. 
And then now this season he's gone to shooting like only mid range twos. Is exactly why I didn't like him. Yeah. So it's weird. I, I kind of feel like vindicated for my pre draft pick <laughs> and unvindicated for everything else. So I don't know how to feel, David. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I think uh, I went slightly different with this one, so it can kind of fill the gaps in around you. I think I think the obvious choices here in terms of. Uh, disappointments overall from that draft are obviously Markel Fultz and Josh Jackson. Uh, we've touched on Josh a lot on this pod, and I think everyone knows the Fultz situation by now. So I'm going to go with another guy who I'm worried more about his situation going forward, and that is Lonzo Ballmax. Yeah, so yeah, I, I see what your point is, but go on. He needs the ball, as his name suggests, and his usage is down to 15% this season, which is down from, I think, 17 last season, which still wasn't amazing. He's down to 26 minutes a game, Max. Uh, His per 36 stats are pretty similar, and he's actually shooting 38% from three, which I think is a pretty good clip for him and and where he's come from. But uh, he's being used as a bit part guy when, you know, he's he's the guy that needs to be running a team to get the best out of Lonzo Ball. So I'm kind of worried for him just purely out of the fact that you know, he's going to be that bit part guy until the Lakers probably decide to ship him off and, and he may kind of wind up in an even worse situation, Max. Hey, you know who's a bad situation? The Phoenix Suns. We'll <laughs> we will definitely take him. But just quietly, Max, on the 2017 draft, we just talked about all the top guys kind of really struggling. But, you know, we thought it was a bit of a nightmare at the draft after that. But kind of going backwards here, here's a few names for you. Monte Morris was drafted 51. Dylan Brooks was drafted 45, Josh Hart 30, Derek White 29, Kuzma 27, Uh, we've got Jarrett Allen at 22, Mitchell as you mentioned was great last year at 13 but not sure where that's going to go from here, and even Zach Collins who was drafted very high at 10 is showing out this season Max. And did you mention I may have skipped over OG Ananobi? I didn't because, you know, I love him anyway. It, enough, not really off the radar for me. But, yeah, he's another great late pick from that draft. It was a very deep draft. I think everyone knew it was a deep draft. Uh, some of the higher picks, as you mentioned, Foltz and Jackson have disappointed. But I think kind of otherwise it's been solidish. Like, even Lonzo, he's disappointing. He's still, like, a useful NBA player. Yep. Uh, Fox, who everyone was worried about for the first year, has been – a revelation, like I, I, I mean, where would you re-rank Fox in uh in the if you're redrafting that draft? Ooh, I mean, you have to take Fultz out right now. You have to just treat him as, oh yeah, you no. know, not being a prospect going forward. So you know, I'm still a Tatum believer. I think he can work it out. I still love Lonzo Ball. You'd have to think about him at three or four, Max. Yeah, I think I would go Tatum one. I think I would go. I think I'd go Fox too. Yep. I I listen. Mitchell's great. I think Mitchell's really good. Fox is like leading his own team right now to an eight and six record, like by himself. Mitchell's surrounded by really good players. Fox is not, and he's been awesome in every single game. I I think people are almost people are giving him credit, but I think people are almost sleeping on how good De'Aaron Fox has been this season. He's been insanely good. Yeah, and I think you know, just to my point, that you know, we're proving here that. You know, some guys can come out of the gates real fast. Some can take a little longer. You know, 12, 18 months on, things are are very different from what we first thought. Mm -hmm. So uh, a a real interesting one to watch 
going forward and, and an interesting thing to watch going forward with the, the most recent draft, Max. You know, we're only 15 games into the season, so things can change pretty quickly. They absolutely can. And uh, the only thing we've seen so far with the recent draft is that it seems really, really good. Yep. <laughs> right? Everyone just seems... I, I don't know if you've seen tonight's scores at all, but Jaron Jackson's going off right now. Of so, course. Uh, yeah, of course. So I, <laughs> I just think that this, this draft's really good. It's a good draft. That brings our mailbag to an end, Max. It does. That was fun, guys. Hey, thanks again, everyone, for the questions. They were all great. Uh, you guys are the smartest goddamn listeners. Like, we don't have the most listeners, David, but I think we probably have the smartest listeners. Very much enjoy interacting with everyone, whether it's through our pod account or our individual accounts on Twitter. It's not all just about this kind of, you know, hour we do every week. It's everything else in between as well, Max. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, but let's move on, David. Seven seconds or less. Uh, this is a segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other has not prepared and only has seven seconds or less to answer. David, it's my turn to ask you the questions. Are you ready? Always. We, before the season started, David, made some predictions, didn't we? We did. I'm going to ask you some questions about those predictions. I like it. Let's do it. The first one, which prediction that you made before the season are you most proud of? I'm still going with Karis LeVert, Max. Uh, devastating yep. to see him go down with that injury. Uh, 24 hours on from that. Amazing to see that he might come back. It's probably still going to put him out of being in contention for the most improved award. But as far as picking a guy out of nowhere uh, that probably would have been in outside of the injury, I'm proud of that one, Max. He was the best player on that team. Yep. Uh, Zach Lowe was talking about how like they viewed him as a cornerstone, and obviously still do, but like how like devastating it was because of that. Yep. Uh, no, that was an incredible prediction, and you should be proud of it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, real quick, my answer is the Bucks. I knew the Bucks would be awesome. I, the only thing I'm regretful of is not going far enough on them. Yeah. <laughs> like just they're better. Uh, okay, next one I said regretful. That was a Freudian slip. David, which prediction that you made are you most regretful of? Uh, there's probably a few to choose from. Uh, Isaiah Thomas is probably one because I just didn't realize how bad that situation was going to be for him to come in and be the sixth man of the year. Uh, but I'll go a team for my official answer and I'll say Houston. I fell into the trap, Max. I thought that the guys they got rid of weren't going to be too much of a problem. Uh, and I also thought that the Western Conference overall was going to struggle from them down, and therefore they just kind of fall into still being a second or third best team. But they've got some serious work to do. They might figure it out a bit. I mean, they've been a little better lately. They beat the Warriors last night, albeit without, you know, Steph. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the problem is they haven't even suffered. They suffered a little bit of a hardened injury, but I'm, Paul has not looked good, and I would not be surprised if he went down with an injury soon. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine would probably be the uh, Hornets prediction. Uh, they're not that good. No, <laughs> <laughs> they're fine. They're not. Good. They're not that good. They might, they might make the playoffs. They're not going to be the four seed. So that was a mistake. Okay, David, mm-hmm. you got to pick one of the season's early surprises. Any single one you want. I, I have a couple examples. You know, the Jazz struggling, the Sacramento Kings winning. But don't limit yourselves to those. Any surprise that has happened so far. I want you to say which one you think is like the one that is actually going to be real. Which one's going to like go forward and sort of be a thing that the season's defined by? Oh, there's a few to choose from there, Max, but I'll go. I'll go a bit off the radar here. So uh, 
general consensus, at least from what I saw, was that uh, if you were Team Dontich, Aiton sucked, and if you were Team Aiton, Luka Dontich sucked. I am pretty confident that those two are going to be the top two in the Rookie of the Year award at the end of the year. I'm not too, I'm not too sure. Too many people outside of myself predicted that, Max, and I am very glad to see that they could both be potential superstars in the NBA going forward. That's a nice one, and that's a fun one. That's, a, that's one that can make everybody feel good. <laughs> uh, mine, mine is going to be uh, totally contradictory to what I said two weeks ago. Okay. Which is that I thought that Sacramento was not here for real. Ooh. <laughs> I've changed my mind over the past two weeks because of De'Aaron Fox only. I think De'Aaron Fox is actually a star now, and I think that Sacramento is maybe not going to be a playoff team. Not a playoff team, but they're going to be like a 35-ish plus win team. And it's going to be because De'Aaron Fox is actually like a really good player now. It's a point guard lead, Max. And having mm-hmm. a good guy handling the ball, uh, cough, cough, son's front office, <laughs> uh, can get you places. And yeah, I well, agree. you know, David, you know who went the pick after Josh Jackson last year? Yeah, don't remind me, please. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a good point. Uh, yeah, maybe not a playoff team when it's all said and done, but probably won't fall off a cliff because they've got enough there to work with and you know, might be in the hunt come the All-Star break. Maybe they'll do a weird trade to chase the eighth seed. I hope not. And it's the weird... Well, they don't only have other weird trade. They don't have their pick this year, so they only have so much they can ruin. Yeah, true. All right, so let's uh, let's get into the last four reviews that we got from the last episode, which we very much appreciate and which are awesome. Uh, David, do you want to start reading these off? I will. So this one is by Idaho Sun, who says, uh, To beat my head on, I grew up in Phoenix watching games at the Coliseum. It has been an exercise in insanity to really like this team. <laughs> we moved to Boyce in 2005, so there is no one to talk to to work out my frustrations on the constant boneheaded decisions made by this and every other person running this team at any rate it's nice to hear that i'm not alone in the frustration i also enjoy the insight no one mentions the suns in national media much perhaps sava could just have a lottery or essay contest for the next gm i certainly think we could do better or at least not do any worse keep up the podcasting or whatever the cool kids say these days I'd be very happy to uh, submit an essay on why I should be Phoenix Suns GM. Yep, we, we should go in together rather than against each other on that one, Max. I like that. Yeah, let's do a dual GM entry. Well, I mean, we've got, we've got co-GMs at the moment, so, you know, let's do it. <laughs> do we or is just start with a GM? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. All right, next one from Kevin G in Chicago. Highly entertaining podcast. Five stars just for the fact these guys are able to talk about the Phoenix Suns on a weekly basis without breaking down and crying. Keep it up. My, I say by breaking down and crying for Twitter. <laughs> and we've got five stars from Bonzo Forever as well. This is one of my favorite Suns podcasts out there. I love David and Max's passion. After blowing the lead against Boston, I was feeling pretty rocky, but this pod put things into perspective. If you're a Suns fan and you don't listen to this podcast, you're missing out. Thanks very much, Bonzo. That's what we try and do. Thanks, Bonzo. Uh, I'm happy we were able to put you in perspective, even though I was like upset. But <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, the next one from the Tricks. He titles it "Thanks, Guys." Being a lonely Suns fan in Vegas, it is very damaging to my psyche to continue to watch uncompetitive basketball time and time again. Well, the Tricks. Let me let you know. It's not just people in Vegas. It's damaging to our psyches too. 
which at some point it just becomes self-inflicting. After listening to your guys' pod for some time, it makes me feel better to hear positive spins, everything, and knowing that I am not alone. Awesome pod. If you are a Suns fan, David, these reviews make me think that we're more positive than I realize we are. <laughs> I think we are, Max. Uh, I listen to most of the Phoenix pods, and it gets a little rocky on all of them at some stage, but we try and stay the course. Uh, I really like that a lot of these are coming from Phoenix Suns fans, uh, not in Arizona, being one of those myself. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's kind of why we started this pod and how it all came about, Max, because uh, you and I are on opposite sides of the world Uh, wanting to talk about the same thing. So thanks to everyone again and anyone else, uh, especially Australians, if you want to submit uh, more reviews, it helps us all the time, Max. Yeah, I'm down to read these at the end of the podcast whenever, especially uh, at the end because then, you know, if you don't don't want to listen to it, you can skip it. It's (laughs) fun. I like to acknowledge our fans. I like to acknowledge our fans. Exactly. Our fans are awesome. All right, well, that's it for us. You can follow me on Twitter at MaxMCC11. You can follow David on Twitter at... The Four Point Play. You can follow our pod on Twitter at 7SOLPod. Please rate, especially review, and subscribe. David, that was fun. It was fun. We're still waiting for our first Jamal Crawford Four Point Play, I believe, Max, uh, <laughs> that I can... Uh that I can get excited for. But we've got games against OKC, Philly, Chicago, and Milwaukee before the next episode. So hopefully we keep at least our one average up for wins, Max. When Jamal Crawford finally has a four-point play, is your uh, seven SOL pod Twitter uh, seven plays or less just going to be like seven freeze frames of that? Seven angles. Seven different angles. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Well, until next time, guys. Thank you.